Hey, Ohio Realtors, register now for the 2022 convention. We're back in Cleveland from September 18th through the 21st for this year's jam-packed event. Featuring 20 and a half hours of CE, nationally known speakers, awards receptions, networking, and the always popular RPAC YPN event hosted at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Don't miss out. Register now by visiting ohiorealtors.org forward slash convention. Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio Realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Welcome to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today for this special episode of the podcast, I'm super excited to welcome back Beth Wanless, who is the Director of Government Affairs here at Ohio Realtors, our chief lobbyist, as well as Senator Rob McCauley. He represents the 1st Senate District in Ohio and also serves as the Senate Majority Whip. Uh, welcome to the show, you two. Thanks, Allison. Happy to be here. Good morning. Yeah, we're super excited to have um, you guys on today because today's episode, we are going to dive into such an important topic, uh, not only for Ohio realtors, but for all homeowners, for all private property owners across Ohio, which is rent control. Um, this is a big, huge deal. I'm so happy we are dedicating an episode of the podcast to this. And we are going to dive all into um, House Bill 430, which was passed in both the Ohio House of Representatives and the Ohio Senate back in June. And Senator McCauley and Beth worked an incredibly amount of time um, on this bill and making sure it gets passed and what it means for Ohio. So we're going to dive all into that in today's show. But first, uh, Senator McCauley, I have to ask our signature question, which we ask all of the guests who join me on the show. Um, since the show is called The Real View, I would like to know what is the best view that you've ever seen? <laughs> well, I, I'm always somebody who's trying to, as I travel across the area, try to find stuff that I can I can look at and see the natural beauty and things. And so in many cases, it's it's taken a drive through some of the hills of, of Ohio or even some of the mountains of the other states around Ohio and things of that nature. But I would say the best view, again, since I'm, I'm focusing this on a bunch of people who like location, location, location and, and real estate, the best view I have, kind of my, my happy place, if you will, is a place down in Florida, southeast Florida, I'm on the Atlantic coast where my family has had a place for several years not necessarily on the coast, but close to it, where we can see a lighthouse across a body of water from us. And that's kind of our happy place that was mine growing up. Now we're able to take our, our kids down there as well, um, like I did when I was a kid, and, and to see them love it. Actually watching them love it is, is probably the best view that I've seen. Oh, that's awesome. There's something about, you know, your childhood intersecting with now your children's childhood that's probably really, really cool and really special to see. Um, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. 
Senator, I want to know a little bit more about you. Um, what has been your your life journey to get to get you to where you are today? Um, what made you want to become um, a senator and become involved? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, well, to borrow a term from Senator Matt Huffman, if you've ever had him, President Matt Huffman, if you've ever had him on the on the show, I, I guess to summarize, I'm I'm just a, a husband, a father, and a small town country lawyer. And so if I could borrow that term, I would. That's what he, how usually, he usually describes himself very modestly. So I would say this. I mean, I grew up in a family that we always appreciated public service. Uh, my mother is actually a judge up in my home county, up in Henry County. We've always appreciated public service. We've always appreciated giving back. We've always appreciated doing what you can to help make your community better. And so in doing that, we were brought up to respect the institutions that are out there, maybe not necessarily all the people who fill those seats in the institutions, but we were taught to respect the institutions themselves and what they stand for and what the significance was. And so growing up, I always enjoyed taking educational trips, as we called them, our educational vacations, as, as sometimes we fondly or unfondly called them, I suppose. But going to different places and, and seeing uh, you know, the U.S. Capitol or seeing different buildings uh, of significance were always fun for me. And so when I graduated law school, I went and started practicing law and did a few other things in economic development and decided when a seat opened up in the Ohio legislature, I don't really know a whole lot about getting elected, but hey, I, I was young. I had just been married, didn't have kids at the time and said, hey, I'll throw my hat in the ring and see if we can figure out as we go. And fortunately, we were able to win. That was back in 2014. Got elected to a House seat and served in the House until 2017 when I was appointed to the Senate. And after being appointed to the Senate, won an election to a full term in 18, and here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you've been a great ally to Ohio Realtors, especially when it comes to what we're going to talk about today. So thank you for your service and thank you, you know, for everything that you do to support Ohio Realtors and private property rights in Ohio. So I want to kind of get a little background information on um, rent control in Ohio. You know, when we hear rent control, we think maybe it might be, you know, a good idea, but really, the results of rent control um, um, can be really detrimental to the housing market. Why don't we learn a little bit more about the history of rent control um, in Ohio and nationally? I think that's a good place to start, Beth. You want to kind of share some information about that? Sure, sure. Good morning. And thank you again, Senator McCauley, for being here with us. So in my background, I have actually worked on rent control policy for well over a decade I've seen it expand across parts of California. Um, I've seen the New York City policy also expand, unfortunately. But rent control or rent stabilization is really a policy that just says that the government, whether a local or state government, says what you can increase your rent. So, you know, I think California has a couple of municipalities that says they can't raise it more than like three or four percent each year, which is very, very low, or it says the policy states how much a, a person, a private property owner can charge in rent. So maybe they would base it off of HUD's fair market rents um, or something else. So as I mentioned, California and New York are kind of the poster children for rent control. That's where they all started. I believe New York City had one of the first rent control policies in the country, and that started at the beginning of the 1900s. Um, and that was to help those who were coming home from the war find housing. Um, it was supposed to be a temporary policy. 
And fortunately, it has lasted well over 100 years. Rent control, I feel very passionate about rent control because it's one of the worst, arguably the worst housing policy that has ever been implemented, in my opinion. And I think there are a lot of people who would say the same thing. So I know economists across the country are always asked, you know, how you think rent control is a good idea? I mean, unanimously, they agree that it reduces the quality and quantity of affordable housing. We really have to look to the most recent implementation of rent control, which was in St. Paul, Minnesota. And there was a ballot initiative passed the end of 2021. So in November, it just said that rents cannot increase more than 3% annually. And that also applied to new construction, which is a surefire way to kill all development. Well, there was a study completed by the University of Southern California in March of 2022, and the the Marshall School of Business and the National Bureau of Economic Research found that St. Paul, it it just kind of, I I don't even know how to say it, the property ownership was decimated, property values were decimated. Quite literally overnight, both owner-occupied homes and rental properties lost upwards of 7% of their value, equaling $1.6 billion in losses. And then that very night in November, folks were actually calling uh, the city and saying, all right, you know, developers were saying, we're putting our projects on hold. You know, once you get this figured out, let us know and we'll come back and finish things up. So I could go on and on and on. I'll just say that uh, we, when we did testify in support of the amendment that we're going to be talking about, I used a lot of really good data that was sent to me by my counterparts in other states. So like, for example, in Portland, Oregon, there was a statewide rent control initiative that was enacted in early 2019. And they have found that 10% of all single family detached rental units, they've lost 10% of all detached rental units, single family rental units. And that's a big market there, unlike here in Ohio. It's it's the same thing. Uh, When I worked in Chicago, we actually commissioned a study by Anderson Economic Group And it also found that there would be a 10% decrease in uh, rent-controlled units between 2019 and 2029. And that's because the market always finds a way. The market always responds. And in most cases, in communities that do have rent control, the property owners either convert them themselves into condominiums, which reduces the quality or the quantity of rental units, or they just say, the heck with it, I don't want to deal with you know, this restriction and they end up selling. And typically a luxury developer will come in and convert those units to condos, which has also led to the expedited gentrification of San Francisco, which another study showed. So, I mean, there's just study after study after study over the last 20, 30 years that prove how devastating rent control is. And it actually typically helps upper income renters more than lower income renters. And that's another piece that's been proven time and time again. So we certainly didn't want that here in Ohio. We have a housing shortage. We need housing of all types from affordable housing all the way up to luxury housing and luxury homes. Um, And then of course, workforce housing is needed more than ever. But that's, that's sort of the history of rent control across the country. We don't have anything like that here in Ohio. We There are 31 states that have a preemption that says that you cannot have rent control in the state. And that was done, you know, maybe like 20 or 30 years ago just to prevent, you know, housing 
issues. So I, I know I talked a lot about that, but I feel very passionate about this issue. And um, it's it's one of those issues that's really hard to fight because, you know, you look like you're taking housing away from people or you look like you're increasing rents, but and in fact, rent control in- increases rents. So I'll stop with that. Yeah, no, I think that's super important um, to highlight that maybe there is a misunderstanding out there about truly what rent control is. And I think, you know, getting just some, some more understanding and education around the negative effects that that it truly has, you know, is so important. So thank you for kind of laying that out and going a little bit more into detail about what um, rent control has looked like in Ohio. Senator McCauley, I kind of want to know a little bit about why you decided to get involved with this topic um, and maybe a little bit about what is your view and approach to protecting private property rights and what made you want to get involved with this? Well, I, I think you touched on the primary reason is property rights are, are something that are the cornerstone of our economy. They're a cornerstone of what it takes to have the American dream and frankly, I understood the plight of many of these real estate investors as well. In my private practice, I deal with an awful lot of real estate investors and people who everything from, you know, maybe they only have a few units that they're renting out or, or they're trying to develop to people who are, have seven-figure real estate businesses or, or maybe even eight-figure real estate businesses. And so kind of seeing across the spectrum, different companies and how they do things and some of the things that are make their lives more difficult. And I think one of the big things that I look at when I'm taking a look at this is that there's kind of a misconception out there that if people are real estate investors, that they're, they're wealthy and, th- and that they're rich or, or that they can afford to take a hit posed by something like price controls on rent or anything like that. And that's just simply not the truth. I mean, granted, there are some very wealthy real estate investors out there, but the vast majority of them are people who have decided uh, similar to what you or I might do or many others might do or to put their money into real estate investments and hard assets as opposed to putting it into a retirement fund or things of that nature. And so they're doing it in a way to grow their own wealth over the course of the long haul. And so when I look at this and I see rent controls and different things like that being proposed, it's really going to hurt the little guys the most. It's going to hurt the small investors. It's going to hurt the investors who've decided to get into it recently. And then it's also, as Beth mentioned, it's going to hurt the low-income people that it's designed to help. And because, you know, she's pointed it out very well, but the truth of the matter is capital is going to go and investment is going to go where the risk can be the lowest for the amount of return that somebody would like to make. And if you're putting rent controls in place, you're increasing the risk on the investor. And so they're just simply going to stop investing. And so your your stock of available homes and rentals is going to not only decrease, but the quality of those units is going to drastically decrease as well because the investment incentive is simply not going to be there. And people are going to convert those homes to condominiums or they're going to convert them to things that can actually be sold so they can sell them for whatever they need to sell them to make their money. And these low-income individuals are just simply not going to have any options at the end of the day. And so it was a two-part approach, really, not just the private property rights side of things, but also the massively detrimental impact that this has been proven to have on the very people it's intended to help.
This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. I want to talk a little bit about the bill and the um, amendment that Senator McCauley and Ohio Realtors worked so hard to get included. Tell us a little bit about that, what it is, um, and then what is kind of the most important things to both of you regarding this policy, and why did we want to make sure that this was something that was included in this bill? Well, for, for us, it was important to make sure that this was a policy that would be applicable statewide and that this was a policy that would signal some consistency to the investment community and, and to people who are going to be deploying their capital all across the state of Ohio and to let them know that you can make these long-term investment decisions, which of course, rental real estate is a long-term investment decision in most cases. You can make these long-term investment decisions knowing that your investment is going to be able to grow and you're going to be able to make the return that you are anticipating without having the rug taken out from under you. So we needed it to be applicable across the state. We also needed it to allow for local governments to have some flexibility in how they incentivize that investment and how they address some of their issues. And so in many cases, uh, I know Columbus is a community that does this quite frequently. Business or communities will offer you tax abatements through a community reinvestment area agreement or otherwise that will basically say, if you are going to buy a property for $100,000 and you're going to put $200,000 into it, this is an oversimplified example, but let's say it's going to be worth $300,000, we are willing to abate a percentage of that increase in value that would be attributable to your taxes. So it allows you to have a lower tax rate for a period of usually 10 to 15 years as an incentive for you to come in and make that investment in a community, often a a lower income blighted community that would really be served well by that investment. And it also, the cities, it gives them flexibility to say, if you're going to do this and we're going to give you these tax breaks, then we would like you to allow a certain percentage of these units to be lower income units. And so I believe in Columbus, they will give tax incentives up to four units um, and there's no low income requirement. But if you're going to develop a unit that's over four units, four units or more, I believe, then I believe 25% of those units need to be devoted to as uh, lower income units. And that just doesn't just help people who who traditionally would be associated with it, lower income people, but also elderly people who may be on a fixed income, who really uh, could use that too. But that's a voluntary program on both sides. And it's something that has worked very well for Columbus. We didn't need to see rent controls to to really create more housing and to create a an upgrading of housing in many areas. This was something that worked well on its own, and it was a voluntary program on both sides. So we wanted to uh, allow for that to proceed as well, while also providing that predictability, as I mentioned before, and consistency for the investment community. 
Yeah. And for those of our listeners who who may not know, will you just tell us, maybe generally speaking, um, what does this language say and what does it mean, maybe specifically for the real estate industry? Very simply put, it says that no government, no political subdivision can put in place rent controls. If the city of Columbus, we recently had the ballot initiative that was being discussed. um, And so it would cover ballot initiatives as well as city ordinance. It can't put in place rent controls that would allow a city or political subdivision of the state of Ohio to say, you can only allow your rent to increase X amount percent per year, or you can only, you have to index your rents to a period of several years ago. So it basically says they cannot, that these local governments cannot put their invisible hand in a third party contract. They can't put their invisible hand in a contractual relationship between a landlord and a tenant. And frankly, it shouldn't be there in the first place. And so in that respect, it does, that's really the long and short of it, while also preserving the ability of the local governments to allow for voluntary incentive programs to be offered to the investors. What did I miss, Beth? (laughs) I think you hit the nail on the head. I was really just thinking in my head about like the dollars and cents and like the narrative that we're going back a couple of minutes, but you were talking about how there's this this, you know, narrative that all landlords and apartment owners are these, you know, hideously rich people, they're vilified, they're seen as evil. And that's just simply not true. And my personal experience with it is what made me so engaged in this policy back in Chicago. And I, when I was working for Chicago Association of Realtors, I went to a brokerage on the west side of the city, which was largely a Hispanic area, of Chicago. And I was telling them about how, you know, we have the preemption in Illinois, but I'm really worried that it's going to be repealed. There's this big movement by tenants, unions, and other activists. And after, you know, my like 10 minute spiel about it, I had these two women come up to me and they were in tears and they were crying. And they said, you know, we are first generation. We came here looking for a better life. You know, our our parents brought us here we wanted to do something better than what we could do where we came from. And that was the ability to own property because where they came from, that was definitely not allowed um, as freely as it is here. And they were saying how they had a couple of units that they were renting out, barely scraping by, you know, property taxes in Cook County, Illinois were very high. So they were really just breaking even every month. And the goal was to sell those units to send their kids to college. And it really dawned on me, like, this is not like a wealthy man's problem. This is an every person problem. And although rent control is, everybody thinks like, you know, the rent's too damn high. You know, I'm hearing that a lot around central Ohio. Yeah, it's high. I get it. It's definitely not low right now. However, rent control will do nothing to help that. In fact, it'll just exacerbate the problem and make it far worse because who in the right mind is going to develop more housing when we need it most, when they know they can't even make any money? People don't understand what goes into a a unit. Rent is covering property taxes, which increase all the time, as we all know, utilities, insurance, maintenance, and upkeep. Why would somebody have a rental unit if they know that they're going to lose money every year? That just doesn't make any sense at all. So 
I, I just wanted to thank Senator McCauley because I approached him about this last year and he didn't even like blink. He was just like, yes, like we have to look into this. We have to look at the language. We have to, you know, get something done. And I really appreciate how quickly you moved on this because we weren't really sure what was going on in the city of Columbus, but this was something that was done in like three or four weeks, which is crazy. It happened so fast. I remember when Beth first brought this up and then like, you're right, three or four weeks later, it was like, nope, we got it passed. It's not going to happen. We're, we got the preemption in and, and it's going to be blocked. It, it did. It happened so quickly. I, I remember it. Yeah. One thing, if, if I could on that, yeah, that I think Beth, you and I were surprised about is how little opposition there was from a lot of the groups that we thought we might see opposition from. And I think it is because, you know, uh, this may be framed as a, you know, landlords versus tenants issues, but I don't think that's really the case. I think there's enough data out mm -hmm. there. There's enough information out there from other cities that have tried this that have shown this hurts people who are of the lower income levels that are meant to be helped by this. This hurts them drastically. And so I think even some of the groups that we thought may be opposing this realize, look, this is not to be framed in the way it's traditionally been framed because we've seen what it happens, what happens in other communities when this comes up and we've seen that uh, it's going to hurt these people. So even a lot of groups that you would think primarily left-leaning groups, we'll, we'll call it that, that we thought may be opposed to this simply were not. And some of them even behind closed doors said, hey, no worries from us. We understand this is the right thing to do. You are so right on that. And I was telling Allison before, I wanted to make sure that I gave a shout out to the legislature and also to our membership to let them know how lucky we are here in Ohio. Yeah, sure. We've had a couple of scary situations, you know, taxes on services and that sort of thing, which never passed. But we are so lucky to work with a legislature who truly does respect private property rights, like you mentioned, but also a lot of people who understand the economics behind such policies. Like you mentioned, we thought, I mean, my experience in Illinois was people came out of the woodworks and like, it was very scary. But here in Ohio, a lot of groups knew that this was not the answer. Like, yeah, we need more housing, which will drive down housing costs. Um, especially with Intel coming in. I mean, this rent control, in my opinion, I think could have paused that. I, that's probably a really bold statement to make, but it's it's such a devastating policy. It's something that I just don't ever want Ohio realtors and property owners and and uh, renters to to deal with because it is so detrimental. And there's it's no uh, accident that San Francisco and New York City both have rent control are two of the most, if not, I think they are one and two on the most expensive rents in the United States. So yeah, I don't want to be number three, that's for sure. Yeah. And luckily, um, thanks to the hard work um, of you guys, uh, we don't have to worry about that um, with with the pass of this bill in both the House and the Senate. Um, it, it has been sent to Governor DeWine for his signature. So what happens next after Governor DeWine um, signs this bill? When does it go into effect? Um, and then what's kind of next as far as rent control and anything else that uh, may be affected by this? Yeah, so the governor signed this bill in mid to late June. And in essence, and you might know the exact date, Beth, but 
in essence, it takes 90 days to go into effect under Ohio law. And so we're not quite past that 90-day threshold yet. Uh, we're getting close to probably the 60-day threshold in a couple weeks. But it basically what happens is in that 90-day period, the general public has the opportunity under our Constitution to gather enough signatures to put a referendum on a statewide referendum on the ballot to repeal the law. And I d- I'm not thinking that's going to happen. There are really no efforts that I'm aware of to gather those signatures. And I think it'd be a pretty high threshold to begin with. And so I don't see that happening. So I fully anticipate this bill going into effect after the 90 days. As far as things that are going to be happening in the future, I think we need to be more focused on what we can do to incentivize investment in housing as opposed to what we can do to curtail or make less appealing uh, investment in housing. And because Beth kind of alluded to it, we have a housing shortage across the state. It's not just in Columbus. It's not just in Cleveland or Cincinnati. It's across the state. It's in rural areas as well. And places where uh, you simply cannot get people to move in because they cannot afford to buy or build rather a, a brand new home because the prices of those have shot up as well with inflation and things of that nature the people might not have the credit to begin with to be able to take out that financing. And so we need rental housing all, everywhere. And so we need to figure out ways to, not just from the state's perspective, to kind of get out of the way of that, but we also need to figure out ways to allow local governments to further incentivize rental housing in their communities uh, in such a way that allows them to be aggressive in trying to attract developers. Yeah, no, those are great, great um, initiatives to to keep on the horizon for us. Anything else um, kind of that we should be looking out for that you're hoping to accomplish with Lame Duck coming up? Not really. I, I mean, we have a few issues kind of unrelated to, to real estate, but uh, I guess somewhat related to real estate in your podcast with since you guys are licensed individuals as realtors. Um, licensing reciprocity, that is something we've worked on with Beth and your team over at the Realtors extensively. This has been probably a three or four year process at this point where we are trying to make it easier for licensed individuals to move into the state of Ohio. And the research suggests a few things. Number one, licensed individuals are much less portable. They're much less likely to move out of their home state, even if they want to, because generally speaking, their license is something that's holding them there. And it is a burden in other states to gain that license. But at the same time, we also know that generally speaking, licensed individuals make more money than unlicensed individuals. And that is a very broad statement. So it's obviously not true on every, in every circumstance. But I would say that on the whole, it's better that Ohio have and be more accommodating to having licensed individuals come into the state and making it easy for them to do that. And so in lame duck, primarily, since this is a bill that I'm primary sponsor of, we're going to be working on trying to get something passed that allows licensed individuals in other states to come to Ohio and be granted an Ohio license, provided that they can show that they've been in good standing in another state for at least one year and that they're not facing any discipline issues and and things of that nature and that they can pass a background check if that's what's required by the licensing board. So that's something we're working on. I, I anticipate we'll be able to get it done. And I think it's something that will be good for the state of Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's something that has been on Beth's radar that she's mentioned a few times here around our Ohio Realtors offices as well. 
Any last thoughts or things we want to make sure to mention before we wrap up here today? This has been so fantastic. Both of you, thank you for sharing all this information. From a legislator's perspective, I would like to point out to any of your membership or anybody who's listening that the work that your team does at the Association of Realtors is second to none. They are very active. They're very aggressive in, in making sure, in a thoughtful way, of making sure that your interests are, are advocated for. They're also very pragmatic in understanding what they can and can't get done. And they do a very good job of representing not only the business of, of licensed realtors, but also the business of real estate investing in general. And so I would say that if you get a chance to thank them at your next conference or whatever the case may be, please do so. But they are second to none. And so I, I would commend them on that and understand that it's important for you as members to continue to support their efforts because they do a great job. I, I second that as well. <laughs> um, the work that, that um, Beth does is incredible as well as the rest of our government affairs team. Um, no, you guys are rock stars and awesome. And um, I don't think we can emphasize just quite enough about how big of a deal this is that this got done and that this, that you all were able to, to stop this from happening in Ohio because it, it just is. It's, it's a massive, huge win for the industry, for realtors and for renters um, across Ohio. And, and you guys, Beth and the team is rock stars and Senator McCauley, you as well for your dedication and hard work to this issue. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much, Senator McCauley. It's been such a joy working with you. You're fun. You're, you know, serious. You're knowledgeable. And we know that you're a realtor ally through and through. Like you mentioned, we may not love everything that happens, but we are so, so, so lucky to have a legislature that listens to us, considers our arguments, and really does work to protect the American dream of owning property here in Ohio. So thank you for everything you did. We appreciate it so much. Always happy to do it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Senator McCauley, for being a friend of the Realtors. Thank you for your hard work on rent control, Beth, you as well. And thank you guys for, for your time and joining me on today's episode. This was great. Um, I'm so excited to get this out to our members and to anyone else who may be listening to this show. Um, wonderful breakdown of, of this whole process and what it means for our industry and renters. So thank you guys again uh, for joining me. This was so great. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. Hey, Ohio Realtors, register now for the fourth annual Broker Summit happening October 18th in Westerville, Ohio. Plus, make sure to join us for the all new Team Summit happening the day before the Broker Summit. That's right, two straight days of learning and networking just for you. Don't miss out on this important opportunity. Register today by visiting ohiorealtors.org.